the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello again and welcome as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley. I'm Michael North. As we study the life of the Apostle Paul, we see a man of great faith who learned that in times of adversity to remain in prayer and worship, in hardship to trust in God's word and bask in his favor, in the darkest hours to continue to sing praises to the Lord. The greatest lesson we get from the Apostle Paul is how to never let our circumstances affect our joy in the Lord. Pastor Dudley's message today is a reminder to all of us that no matter what tomorrow brings, either way, I win. Here's Dudley. Today, I want to look at the fact that when you walked in here today, uh, that this church, we are a group of people who understand that no matter our situation, whatever storm or trial uh, that you find yourself in, that as Christians, as people who have faith in God, that no matter what happens to us, we can keep our heads held high. We know that we're going to be okay, that everything's going to come out on top eventually. I want to preach to you a sermon that I first heard my dad preach over 40 years ago. It's a sermon called Either Way I Win. Turn to your neighbor and say, Either Way I Win. Just say, Either Way I Win. I want to read to you our text, Philippians 1, starting with verse 20. Paul writes, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by what? By death. And here's the key verse. For to me, to me, to live, if I get to keep living, that means I get to keep doing work on behalf of Christ. And if I die, that's okay too. Because I gain, I'm going to gain even if I die. Verse 22 If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with who? To be Christ, which is is better by far. Don't forget that. And it is more necessary for you, though, that I remain here in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. And all God's people said. He had two great desires in his life. And he didn't know which one he desired more. 
He wanted to die and he wanted to live. I want you to write this down. If he died, that meant that he got to go to be with Jesus in glory. That's always a good thing. And if he lived, why, that was good too. All he knew was he could reach more people for Jesus. And he felt that way even though he was in prison. Amen? Amen. Everybody say Paul one more time. I want you to know that his name was not always Paul. You know, everyone has a story. And you need to know his story to really understand the impact of what he wrote. At one time, his name was Saul. He was born in Tarsus. He was a brilliant Jewish lawyer. He had talent and energy. He was focused. No one in the world had ever been more dedicated or smarter or more intense than Saul of Tarsus, an accomplished Jewish lawyer. He went to a school called the School of Gamaliel, which was a strict learned institution. Just one of the entrance requirements to that school was you would have had to have memorized the entire Pentateuch, which was the first five books of the Bible. He had to have memorized all of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy just to get into the school. Paul was a very intellectual man. He became a leader of leaders. He was a lawyer of all lawyers. He was powerful. He was influential. He was intimidating. And one day, he decided that he hated Jesus Christ. Yes, I mean hated. And not only did he hate Jesus Christ, I want you to write this down, he hated all Christians. He not only hated Jesus, he hated anyone who said they were going to follow Jesus, which would be you as a Christian. And he made a promise to himself, and he made a promise to his God that he personally would extinguish and stamp out Christianity in the Middle East. He personally would kill and destroy every man, woman, boy, and girl who followed Jesus Christ. You say, how badly did he hate Christians? Well, historians tell us, Jerome particularly, that he would go into a town and he either would take you out of your house and drag you back to Jerusalem to be killed, or sometimes he would enter your house and kill you right on the spot in front of your family. Men and soldiers serving under the Apostle Paul would take little babies, and this is very graphic, but they would take children and hang them upside down with their feet and literally bash the children against stone walls so that no Christian would ever have a chance to live, that these children would never grow to ever possibly reproduce another generation of disciples. So when I say that he hated Christianity, trust me, he hated Christianity until one day something happened. You won't believe this, but he met Jesus Christ. Write that down. It really is a miraculous story of conversion, a supernatural phenomenon that you can read about in your Bible. In Acts chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus is on a road leading north out of Jerusalem up into Damascus, and on the way to Damascus to kill people like you, he was struck by a bright light that came from heaven. 
it struck him totally blind. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice and Saul of Tarsus asked two questions. The first question he asked, who is it? Who is it? And he hears a voice that says, this is Jesus, the one that you are persecuting. So he met Jesus on this road to Damascus. The second question he asked is, what do you want me to do? And Jesus tells him, I want you to get up and go into the city and you will be told what to do. We learn from Acts 9 and Acts 22 that he was led like a blind man into Damascus where he received back his eyesight. In Acts chapter 22, verse 16, he was told, arise, get up, be baptized, wash your sins away. And he was baptized and he changed his name from Saul to Paul, and he, write this down, he becomes the very Christian that he was persecuting just a few days before. He comes to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and he spends the rest of his days on this earth trying to teach every Jewish person and every Gentile person that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. The greatest persecutor of the church becomes the greatest promoter of the church. The greatest destroyer of the church becomes the greatest missionary the church has ever seen. And you read his writings that we just read in the book of Philippians, and you have all kinds of stories about this man. I want to look at three different stories today concerning the Apostle Paul, where we will learn as you go through these stories that no matter how bad things are in your life, that you don't need to worry, you don't need to fret, you don't need to be filled with anxiety over anything, that if you're in Christ Jesus, you are more than conquerors through him. And the first illustration is the shipwreck. Everybody say the shipwreck. Write that down. as a shipwreck in Acts chapter 27. Apostle Paul is getting on board a ship. There's a passenger list. Everybody's name's on the passenger list. It's a wonderful list. The captain, the crew members, the owner, the first mate, the centurion, the sailors and the passengers. It was a most impressive list. And yes, even the Apostle Paul's name is on that list. But his name is so far down on that list it almost falls off the page. When they put the Apostle Paul on board that ship that day in the port at Caesarea, they did not put him in a stateroom. They did not give him a balcony room with a view like you do on these cruise ships. They put the Apostle Paul down in the belly of that ship where all the rats were. And as they sailed along the Mediterranean Sea, they encountered a rather severe storm where everyone on board that ship was frightened for their life. Paul had warned them back at the beginning before they ever got on board that ship. You can read about this in Acts chapter 27, verses 10, 11, and 12, where Paul said, Mr. Captain, Mr. Captain, don't go on this voyage. And the captain said, ha, 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 I know why you don't want to go on board this ship, old man. And Paul said, no, you don't understand. I, I know that there's great danger for anyone on this trip. And the captain said, 
ha, ha, ha. I see great danger for you, old chap, when we arrive in Rome and you stand trial for your life for all the trouble that you've caused all over the, the Middle East. And Paul says, no, no, Mr. Captain, you need to listen to me. I've seen a vision from God. I've seen great peril for anyone who sails on this voyage. And the captain says, the only peril I see is for you. When we get to Rome, they're going to cut off your head for your profession of faith in this man called Jesus. Now get on board. And Paul got on board that ship. They put him down in the belly of that ship. And eventually that storm came, just like he predicted, and it was dreadful. Everyone was scared to death. The Bible says in verse 14 that they had hurricane force winds. And the Bible says that the storm was so severe that those on board saw neither the light of the sun by day, neither the light of the moon by night for 14 days and 14 nights. No one saw the sun or the moon. They had to literally take ropes and put them down underneath the ship and hold the, tie the ropes together just to keep the ship from falling apart. The crew members had to throw overboard the wheat and the barley and the supplies. The passengers had to throw overboard their luggage and their possessions. People were about to commit mutiny. There was absolute chaos. That old empty shell of a ship began to be tossed back and forth It started to sink slowly, and everyone was terrified. Nobody knew what to do when suddenly, up from the belly of that ship, appeared a little bald-headed, (laughs) bowed-legged preacher and grabbed hold of a broken mast, and he surveyed the scene of carnage. And he saw the soldiers and the centurion about to commit suicide. He saw the captain who had lost control of the ship. He saw the passengers who had lost all of their possessions. And the howling wind, the perpetual storm, the torrential rainfall, the swamping waves. And Paul looked at the scene of destruction and carnage. He stands eyeball to eyeball with death. And with a smile on his face, he says, Folks! Cheer up. (laughs) What? I said, cheer up. Have you lost your mind? Does the Bible really say that he said cheer up? Well, here's what the Bible says in King James Version in Acts 27, 22. I'll put it on the screen. He comes up from the belly of the ship and he says, I exhort you to be of good cheer. For there shall be no loss of any man's life among you. And a second time, just a few verses later in verse 25, he says, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God. In other words, be encouraged. In other words, don't worry. Be happy. In other words, God's got this. It's really an unbelievable story. This whole ship is about to go under. Everything in whose nostrils is the breath of life is about to drown. And Paul says, cheer up. How can he say, cheer up? Well, learn this lesson and learn this well. He's a Christian. He believes in Jesus Christ. He has Jesus in his heart. He trusts in God above what anyone else says. 
And if you have Jesus Christ in your heart, then the shipwrecks of life are meaningless to you. This attitude is what separates the church from all other organizations in the world because Christianity enables you to stand on board a sinking ship and survey the wreckage and have an attitude that says, I can even be encouraged in this situation. Our world is a morally sinking ship. Our schools and our governments are totally upside down. We are as a nation, we are bankrupt financially, but we are bankrupt morally and spiritually. Our neighborhoods and our cities are sinking ships. Our nation, we lead the world in suicides. We lead the world in abortions. We lead the world in gun violence and divorces. And whenever you look around, things look bleak. And they don't look like they're getting much better. They look like they're getting worse day by day. But as a believer, someone who goes to this church in the midst of any crisis, in the midst of any downturn, in the midst of any depression, the Christian continues to put their faith and trust in God, knowing that God ultimately will be victorious. The second story is found in Acts 14 in the city of Lystra. Everybody say Lystra. Lystra. And we call this the stoning. And Paul was preaching one time, and he upset some people. Did you know that preachers preach, and sometimes they get people upset by what they say? How many of you know that? It happened to me one time, one time. No, you know, it happens every week. Did you know that? Just about every time I preach, someone gets up and walks out because they're upset with something I said. I always upset someone each and every week, but I never upset people the way that the Apostle Paul seemed to upset people when he preached. Every time he preached, it was like they tried to kill him almost. One day he was in Lystra and he was preaching to the Listerines. What else do you call people who live at Lystra? <laughs> Scopes? I don't think so. They were Listerines. And they were so incensed because Paul was preaching on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We know that because in verse 7 and in verse 15 twice, it says that Paul was preaching the good news. And we know by definition that the good news is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You say, well, I've heard a lot of sermons on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It never made me mad. Well, that's because you weren't really listening. Because the real impact of believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is this, that if Christ literally brought his dead body back to life, then one day he's going to bring your dead body back to life and if you believe that one day your dead body is going to be brought back to life, what that means is that one day you're going to stand before an almighty judge. Well, that's why if you're preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ, some people get upset because they don't want to ultimately stand before a judge. Well, they understood this and they were listening and they were really into the message. And verse 19 says, 
some, some neighboring Jews came over and riled up the crowd. And the next thing you know, they got so upset, they decided to stone him to death. And so they take him outside the city gates in Lystra, and they literally stoned him to death. And they threw his old dead carcass, at least they thought he was dead, on top a rubbish heap. And there is the Apostle Paul, bruised, bleeding, and broken, his body just laying outside the city gates on a pile of garbage, all because they didn't like his sermon on the resurrection, the message that Jesus is the Messiah. And Paul is laying there half dead, and all his followers, his little band of followers are all gathered around him looking down at him. And they thought, what are we going to do now? Paul's dead. Look at him. He's dead. And all of a sudden, boing, one eye opened up. (laughs) Boing, and another eye opened up. And Paul starts to move a little bit. And he looks up, and these guys are all just looking down at him. And he goes, what are you guys doing? We were planning your funeral. My funeral, and he stands up, and he brushes off his clothes, he gets all the dust off. He goes, I've never been more alive in my whole life. And he turns around, and he starts to walk. And guess where he walks? Right back into Lystra. And the disciples said, what are you doing? You can't go back into Lystra. They just tried to kill you. They think you're dead. If you go back now, they'll kill you for sure. You boys get out of my way. I know what I'm doing. I'm going back into Lystra. Paul, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're delirious. You got hit one too many times with a rock upside your head. You go back in there. They're going to kill you. You boys leave me alone. I know what I'm doing. I'm going back into Lystra. And guess what? You're going with me. I think this is one of the funniest things in the entire Bible. Do you know why he went back into Lystra? It's because he hadn't finished his sermon on the resurrection. He still had a couple more points to make. And what this translates for us, it just means that there really was a time where there was a guy named Paul, just an ordinary human made of the same clay, the same mud that you and I are made out of. But he had something so deep and exciting within him that he had this sense, this this conviction, this belief, I mean, that the resurrection of Jesus was so real to him that even if you stoned him half to death, he couldn't help but tell you again that it's true that Jesus conquered the grave. And I ask you today, I ask you today, do you have any of that inside of you? Is there any type of conviction like that inside of you concerning Jesus Christ? Real Christianity will cause you, lead you to speak up on behalf of Christ. This whole world of ours needs a generation of Christian church members who do not just come to church to sit and to be entertained, but will go out into the restaurants, to the filling stations, to the post offices, to the schools, to the mall, to your places of employment, and will take the initiative to speak up in the name of our risen Lord. He was literally stoned within an inch of his life, and he gets up and he brushes off his clothes and goes right back to the same exact city. You can't defeat a man like that, and you can't defeat a church like that, and that's who we are. 
as a group of Christians. We are the church, and even the gates of hell cannot prevail against us, the church. Be sure to join us next week as Pastor Dudley continues his message, Either Way I Win. Family traits, they're passed down to us and then through us, revealing our shared DNA. In the same way, we're meant to look like God's family, to bear His image. So what are these shared family features, these identifying marks? In our newest series, This Is Us, Pastor Dudley and the Lift Up Jesus team explore seven key characteristics that we as individuals and the church should have. We examine the distinguishing traits that reflect our relationship with Jesus and remind us that we are part of His family. For a gift of $25 or more, we'll send you Pastor Dudley's complete sermon series and small group resource called This Is Us on either CD or DVD. Call right now at our toll-free number, 888-818-4777. That number again in the United States is 888-818-4777. Order your copy of This Is Us today. We thank you for being with us today, and be sure to join us again next week at the same time. And remember to always lift up Jesus.